Word of God, which we'll ponder for a few moments this morning, uh, printed out for you, Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 10. Uh, We'll read the words at this time, the account of Jacob and his family. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he had made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? This is God's word in Genesis 37. We bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Brothers and and sisters in Christ Jesus, about a year and a half ago, my family and I was preparing, or were preparing for our move from Florida to Wisconsin. And if you've moved recently, you know how that goes. You go room by room and you sort through, here's what we need to keep and here's what we need to get rid of. And you go room by room. And we were down to the last room, which was the attic. I don't even know what we have up in the attic besides Christmas stuff. So that was kind of a, a treat going up to the attic. And, and I found a box that was labeled Joel's Keepsakes. And I thought, oh, this is gonna be interesting. What, what did I th- see was so beneficial that I wanted to keep it in, in the attic of all places? And so I opened up the box and I was pleasantly surprised. Pictures from family vacations, pictures of old friends, trophies from, from sports competitions, sports collectibles. I even put in, I don't know why, but old assignments that I had done really well on in school. A plus on this paper, A plus on that. And I have to say, it was actually quite pleasurable to go through this box of of keepsakes. Do you have a keepsake box? Or a bin? And I I bet you do if you start to think of it, stuff that you've collected up over the years, but but maybe we could get a little bit deeper than a box or a bin that might find its way in the attic. We have a brain and a heart. And as we go through life, we, we collect things, the words that people say, the things that people have done, the words that we have said, the things that we have done, the good days, the bad days, the good memories, the bad memories, and we start to collect all these things and hold it inside. So my question for you this morning is, what's in the keepsake box of your heart? And what would God put in the keepsake box of our hearts? In Genesis 37, we, we get to see an account into one family's life. 
And as we do so, God opens up the keepsake boxes of their hearts to see what's going, inside, going on inside of the hearts of Jacob and his, his sons and, and especially with Joseph. So let's walk through this a little bit. There's Jacob. He's the, the father of the family, the patriarch. Grandson to Abraham. So Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob, which means he's in that family that would eventually lead to the Savior. So he's a son and a grandson. Jacob was married. Sadly, he had multiple wives. He was married to Leah. He was married to Rachel, who was his favorite wife. And he let that be known. And then their maidservants, Bilhah and Zilpah. So he was a son and grandson. He was a husband. He was also a father. Twelve sons. We also know of at least one other daughter named Dinah. But twelve sons. And yet of these children, there was one child that grabbed his heart. And he was, was not shy about it. Look at verse 3 one more time. It says this. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his other sons. Parents are usually very cautious about this. They don't want to show love to one child or favoritism to one child more than the others. For example, just yesterday, one of my children asked my wife, Which one of us is your favorite? And she answered it marvelous, marvelously. She said, I love all my children equally. Good answer. I, I actually know a mom who, when it came to Christmas or birthdays, she would go shopping for her children and keep track of how much money she spent on that child so that she'd spend the exact same to the dollar or to the cent on the next child. So if it was $100 for this child's Christmas presents, $100 for that child and this child and that child. See, parents are very cautious. They don't want to say or do things that make it look like they have a favorite over the others. Jacob wasn't that way at all. In fact, he made it very clear that he had a favorite son. It says that he made Joseph, his favorite son, born to him in his old age, born to his favorite wife, Rachel, made him this ornamental, full-length, decorative robe. He made it! You read through Genesis and you don't find any other mention of him making anything for the other 11 sons, and yet here he is making this ornamental robe for his favorite son, Joseph. And so as you dig into Jacob's account and you open up the keepsake box of his heart, you know what you find in there? You find favoritism. Do you find that in your heart? Have you ever shown attention or love to a person based on how they look or what they were wearing or who they were? Or have you not shown attention or not shown love to someone based on how they look what they were wearing, who they were. This is a very informal thing, but I remember I was traveling once on an airplane and I was in a hurry but and knew at the other end where I had meetings that I had time to change. So I dressed very casually. I think I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And I paid attention to how people treated me. You know, the flight attendants and so forth. On the way back, I didn't have time to change, so I was dressed very professionally. And I paid attention to how I was treated. Do you want to guess based on just what I was wearing, very casual, very professional. Did people treat me better based on what I was wearing? This is very informal, and maybe I was looking more into it, but I felt like I was treated a little bit better when I was dressed nicer. It can easily happen in our lives. It can easily happen in our hearts that this thing called favoritism can get deeply embedded into our hearts to the demise of our souls. In fact, the Bible warns, this is in James 2, verse 1. It says, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Very powerful words. That was Jacob. That's the father. 
Well, let's keep going in his account and we get to the 11 sons, the 11 brothers. This is what it said in verse four. When his brothers saw that their father loved him, Joseph, more than any of them, they hated him and couldn't speak a kind word to him. You imagine that moment, the look on their faces when here's Jacob, he's just finished that nice ornamental robe and he gives it to Joseph and the other brothers are looking around wondering, is there a box for me? Is there a robe for me? Have you made anything for me? And there's nothing and then Joseph puts on the robe and and you can just feel the heat rising in their hearts. They could have said, Dad, this is not fair. You shouldn't be doing that for just one of your sons. But instead of taking their anger and hatred out on dad, they took their anger and hatred out on their brother. It says in scripture they could not even speak a kind word to him. Literally in the Hebrew, they could not speak a shalom to him, a a common greeting, peace. They couldn't say it. And then, so their their hearts are already heating up. Joseph tells them about these dreams he had about how people were bowing down to him, his brothers were bowing down to him in his dreams. And then he tells another one where dad and and brothers are bowing down to him again. And twice, verse five and verse eight, it says, they hated him all the more. So you open up the the keepsake box of of their hearts and what do you find inside of it? There's, There's hatred. Do you find that in our hearts? Maybe we could put it this way, is there a person, if that person would walk in in the door either way here, that if that person walked in, all of a sudden your heart would start to heat up a little bit. Maybe it's somebody who's hurt you, maybe it's somebody who said something, maybe it's somebody who forgot to do something for you and, and you haven't really quite let go of it and every time you hear that person's name, every time you see that person, the heat starts to rise. Hatred is, is this powerful thing that can get deeply embedded into a heart to the demise of the soul. In fact, 1 John 3 says with strong words, it says anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Powerful words. So we've talked about Jacob and we talked about the 11 sons. We better get to the son who's kind of at the center of attention here and that's Joseph. Look in verse 2. Joseph, man of 17, so a 17-year-old at the time, was tending his flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Joseph, uh, 17-year-old that he is, he, he, he can't seem to keep his words, can't seem to keep his dreams to himself. It could be, so he's out in the fields tending the flocks with, with some of his brothers and, and he goes back and he tells dad, dad goes, well, how are they doing? What's the report? It could be he's just being naive and he's talking about what happened and it turns out it happened to be a bad report. Eh, that'd be a best construction on things. Or it could be that a 17-year-old can really read the room and he knows that he's already dad's favorite. And so to make himself rise up even higher in dad's heart, he's going to put his brothers down and he says, dad, they're doing a horrible job, but I did a great job when I was out there. Well, then then he has these dreams and he has to share them with his brothers. It, It could just be he's so fascinated by his dreams and he wants them to be fascinated by them. Or even in his dreams, he starts to rise up above his brothers and he wants them to know, in my dreams, you're bowing down to me. Now, the Bible never says point blank that pride was something that was in his heart. But it's hard not to think about pride. 
Pride is something that can get deeply embedded into the heart and become part of the keepsake box. Do you struggle with pride? Do you ever look down on someone else? Think, well, I don't struggle with that. I don't sin like that. I have a, about an hour, hour, 10 minute drive when I come and preach here. And so you have a lot of time to, to think and to drive. And of course, on a Sunday morning in summer, you know what you see? Well, there's a truck with a boat. I don't think they're going to church this morning. Maybe they're going on Monday, maybe they're going on Saturday, but here I am in my shirt and tie driving to church and what are they doing? See, pride can quickly rise up in our hearts and it gets deeply embedded there to the demise of the soul. This is what scripture warns in Proverbs 16. It said, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Powerful words. This is the account of Jacob. If an account was written about your life or about the life of your family, what kind of things would start to rise to the surface? What kind of things would people see are deeply embedded in the keepsake box of our hearts? Maybe it's just the same things. Favoritism, pride, hatred. Or maybe there's something else that's going on inside. I don't know if you read this. This was about a month, month and a half ago, uh, May 3rd, the United States Surgeon General came out with a new warning about an epidemic. You heard the latest epidemic that the Surgeon General wants everyone to know about? It's an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. One out of two adults in our country uh, struggles with loneliness. And the Surgeon General said this, the, the problems and struggle of loneliness is just as bad as if you would smoke 15 cigarettes each day. It's taking its toll on people's health. People are lonely and isolated. Maybe if we open up the keepsake box of our heart, that, that's what's inside. Loneliness, worry, fear. These are powerful things that get deeply embedded down in there. Now listen to this verse. 1 John 3 verse 20, it says, just, just short and to the point, God is greater than our hearts. Isn't that wonderful? See, we, as we go through life, we have all these things, the hurts of others, our own, our own struggles with sin, and they get deeply embedded and rooted in the heart, but then, then we have this powerful promise that says, but, but God is greater than, than our hearts. God is greater than the hatred. God is greater than the favoritism. God is greater than that, so much so because we have a place in God's heart. He sent his son to unburden our hearts through his perfect life and his innocent death on the cross. That God takes what's inside of our hearts and he says, you know what, I'm gonna give you what's inside of my heart. I'm gonna give you forgiveness. I'm gonna give you my love. I'm gonna give you my peace and I'm gonna give you my joy and you get to live with that. You know, maybe the, the question we should be asking is not what's inside of our hearts, but what has God put inside of our hearts? And as we dig in his word, we marvel that he's given us the gift of faith and the faith to believe in his promises and the faith to know that we have comfort and forgiveness in him. So keep reading this story. I know we're only in chapter 37. You'll have to read all the details, but it's pretty fascinating. This family puts the fun in dysfunctional. I mean, this, there's more drama here than a daytime talk show. 
So what happens is the brothers were fed up with a 17-year-old Joseph. You know what they did? They sold him as a slave. They said, oh, look, there are slave traders going to Egypt. Have our brother. Then they took that ornamental coat, dipped it in animal's blood, and went back to dad and go, oh, dad, a wild animal ate your son. So dad's grieving. Horrible stuff. I mean, it goes from bad to worse. Well, then Joseph, who was sold as a slave, eventually he lands in prison, falsely accused. And you think, man, this story's going from bad to worse. And that would be true if God were not a part of this story, but he most certainly is. And so Joseph, from, from the pit of prison, all of a sudden rises up to second in command in Egypt. There's a famine in the land, and Pharaoh has now put Joseph in charge of distributing the food that they had collected. The brothers are back home. They're experiencing the famine, so the brothers come to Egypt, and they bow down to this ruler. They don't know it's Joseph, but the dream came true, and here they are bowing down to their brother. Well, eventually he reveals himself to them, and they go, Oh no, we treated him poorly. He's in a position of power. Now he's going to get us. Well, they really said, oh no, when dad died because they thought now that dad's dead, now he's really going to give payback. Here's what Joseph said when he knew they were worried. This is Genesis 45. He said, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Let me read those first few words again. Do not be distressed. I mean, you read this story, this account, and maybe you feel a little bit better about your family. You're like, wow, that family's got issues. And look how how many problems they have deeply embedded in their hearts. But as you keep reading the story, you see that God's hand was there throughout all of it and God worked through all of that turmoil to do what God always does, which is to work good for those who love him. And God used that situation to save many lives. Well, of course, God eventually would send his son through that family line, through that dysfunctional family, he would send a perfect savior for them and for us. Wow. Makes you think that even if you have struggles with your family, even if you have deep burdens in your heart, God is greater than our hearts. God is greater than our burdens. And through the work of Jesus and the, one, and the power of baptism, the word in baptism, he calls us to belong to a perfect family with a perfectly loving heavenly father, with a savior and brother in Jesus who laid down his life for us. What we hold in our hearts and the keepsake of our hearts, it's not favoritism. It's not hatred. It's not all these other sins we could struggle with like pride. It's faith in our Savior Jesus who's filled our hearts with hope and peace and joy. What has God put in the keepsake of your hearts? Well, certainly faith. But I think we could also focus on comfort. You know, I was was thinking about it and I have two keepsake boxes. So there's the, the one I pulled down from my attic. But then I I was looking on my shelf the other day and I have this small wooden box about the size of a a shoe box. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) that's a keepsake box. I I received this as a gift at the end of my vicar or intern year as a pastor in in training. Uh, My supervising pastor hands me this box and a card and says, keep this, you're going to need it. I said, what in the world? And the card was a very thoughtful card, thanking me and encouraging me. And and he said, you're going to have hard days in life and you're going to have hard days in ministry. Keep cards like this and put them inside the box. And when you have hard days and difficult days, you read through those cards. And so over the years, 
I'll put in cards, I'll put in letters, I'll put in emails, and, and there they are inside the box. And when I'm having a bad day and I'm getting really discouraged, I open it up and I'm comforted by my fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus and the comfort I have in Jesus. One example, I remember one day as a pastor, I opened up my email inbox and there were two new messages. And the first one, kid you not, was about two lines long and it was a thank you. Thank you, pastor. Thank you for helping me see that, that Jesus is in control, that Jesus loves me. Two, two lines. Printed it out, put it in the box. The next email, remember the first one was two lines. Next email was probably about two full pages if you printed it out. And it was the person complaining about this and that and this and that. And of course, at the heart of the complaint was me. I was dwelling on it a long time. Why we dwell on, on things that we shouldn't a long time. So give thanks for those people who, who point us back to what we can really dwell on in our Savior Jesus, peace and joy and the comfort we have in him. Be those people who point hearts that are discouraged and lonely and struggling back to the Savior Jesus because he's emptied our hearts of those things that don't belong and filled it with what does belong, faith in him. Treasure that. Amen. Now the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds now and always in Christ Jesus. Amen.